Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life, books and champagne, brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay, okay we're ready. And yeah. books are sexy. Ellen, pop that busy. Okay, hold on. I'm making Ellen drink on her own today because I have to get IQ testing done. She's a really bad business partner. I know. Nobody should ever have to drink on their own. No one ever should. But enjoy those bubbles. What are you reading, Amanda? I am reading a book that comes out in January called You Only Call When You're in Trouble. Mm. And I'm excited about this book because we're trying to find an excellent fiction title for our dog pack subscription. And it is being promoted as the first book in five years from a really well-known like family drama fiction writer. And the characters in this book are all part of a family, a dysfunctional family, as many of our families are. Um, There is a character named Cecily, who is a very successful professor, but she's under investigation for a Title IX complaint sexual Mm -hmm. harassment from a female student um, that she feels is very unfounded. Like she kind of got caught in a corner by someone who actually maybe sexually harassed her. Um, She, the person she calls when she's in trouble is her uncle Tom. Uncle Tom is an architect who specializes in tiny houses. Okay. Does everybody have an uncle Tom? I have an Uncle Tom. I have an Uncle Tom. <laughs> Rachel, do you have an Uncle Tom? No. Okay. Rachel does not listeners, have an Uncle Tom. If you have an uncle- not even for my new uncles either. Oh. oh. If Listeners, if you have an Uncle Tom, say so in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I have an Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom is the person who bails her out because she grew up with a single mom who was always making a mess of her life. Real free spirit, always on to the next scheme always bringing interesting characters into their lives. So um, mom has not been the person to depend on. Uncle Tom has, and it's come at a cost because he's just lost his relationship with his longtime partner because his partner complains that the true love of his life is his niece, Cecily. So it's about the family dynamics. I'm interested in it. I kind of love, I love the cover. It's really cool. It's by Stephen McCauley. I'll be sure to let you guys know what I think of it when it's all finished up. What are you reading? I am reading Dazzling by Chakotali Emilumadu. Nice job. This is a Nigerian writer. And this book is, it has one of like my favorite elements of literary fiction, magical realism. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a magical realism Ho. I like things um, that make the impossible seem possible. Yes. And so I was telling you about this book. It's really, well, first of all, it has a really cool cover. Um, but the opening scene is very short, um, undetermined time, just long ago. This Ni- Nigerian village. Um, and this man shows up at the village and he's got weird markings on his chest and he's greeted by a group of warriors who beat him up. And um, the man is then taken in by the priest who worships the goddess and sort of brought back to health. And this is the opening chapters. I don't know what it has to do with anything. But now the story is between two alternates between two girls who don't seem to know each other they're both around 10 years old one is ozamina 
And she is the daughter of a doctor, and she's the middle of three daughters. And her father has recently left the family. And so she is really dealing with that loss. And she also just got into secondary school. So she had to take exams. It's a boarding school. Um, it's a very much a rite of passage. And so she's looking forward to like kind of getting out of the house and doing something different for herself. And one day she is walking home after getting her haircut for school and she encounters a nun on the corner of the street. And it would be very inappropriate to not acknowledge the nun. Um, but it turns out the nun is a demon or dead <clears throat> and sort of attacks Ozamina and she has to recover from that. So this is kind of where I am in the story. She has this ability to interact with the dead. What that means yet, I don't know. What that has to do with the opening sequence, I don't know. And then the other girl is named Treasure. And she, what her father has died. She's an only child. And her mother is like inconsolable, unable to function. So Treasure is very much on her own. They also were, seems to be a wealthy family, um, but they have fallen very far. So from the life that she once lived is very, very different now. Um, she's not in school. Uh, she speaks in this very um, interesting dialect, and which is fun to read. And she also has this power, it seems, because one day she's at the market and these three boys sort of bait her by being nice to her and then they steal her money, which she had to work hard to get. Um, she's not, it's, they don't have to have money in her house. And <clears throat> this demon <laughs> uh, interacts with her and convinces her that he would be able to sort of get these boys back. And he can provide things for her that nobody else can provide to her. And he wants her to marry him. And she's like, um, I'm just a kid and you're a demon. And <laughs> um, he's like, but I can do all these things for you that no one else is doing for you. Plus, I could probably find out where your dad is in the afterlife and teach him how to communicate with you. But you have to be my wife. Creepy. So that's where I'm at. But it's cool because I feel like these three stories have to come together. And I don't really know how that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm interested to see that web woven. Yes. So interestingly, so Rachel asked what time period. It doesn't actually say. So the chapters will be like treasure then, treasure mm. now, mm. Osamina then, Osamina now. And the opening sequence I think is just as long ago. Cool. It. I mean – in the now ones, they're attending school. I would say it's definitely like not a long, long, long time ago, but time period, not totally sure. Cool. So cool. I'm I'm curious to see where this story goes. Me keep, too. Keep me updated. All right. This week, we created a fun prompt for Bubbles and Books podcast. We put a call out to those who follow us on our social media. Ask us anything. Book recommendations, <laughs> behind the scenes information. And we got answers. We, I mean, we got questions. Um, we're going to go through and answer your questions and see how it goes. I don't know what's going to happen. 
we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants here. This is not prepared at all. <laughs> all right. Let's get going. There's a ton. Okay. I'm going to start with <laughs> baking for two. This is, I recognize this handle. This is one of my college friends. So little shout out, Emily. Thanks for listening and following. She asked, who do we work with for merch? Anyone local? Um, so this would be like our products with our branding on it. We have two avenues, three avenues that we've worked on, on fun new merch. Um, probably more than that, actually. Um, we work with Shelby at Ripke Design, Shelby Mitchell at Ripke Design on modifying the branding she created for us to create new uh, subscription branding, new t-shirt designs. Um, We always get really fun things from her. Um, We also work with Rachel. She is a very skilled designer in her own right, and she works with our branding, um, our colors, our different mock-ups to create new products for the store, like buttons and pins and t-shirts and mugs, all that. And then we recently have a new partnership. We all will be dropping a new sweatshirt soon. We worked with a local artist and friend of the store, an individual named Madeline Schill, who captured an iconic um, moment from our store. If you walk into our store, you see our neon books are meant to be loved. And if Lovey's on shift, she's curled up in the green chair underneath the neon. So we've captured that scene in a new design. So watch for that. So. Yeah. We've also worked with other makers. I mean, we were working with local graphic designers, um, but then we hire people, right, to then put them on merchandise, like mm-hmm. tote bags and bookmarks and things like that. And we try to source those locally. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, let's see. Emily Wilcox. Emily Wilcox asked a lot of questions. Yeah, she's very curious and enthusiastic, <laughs> a huge supporter of the store, one of our great customers, um, loves the romance genre, Um directs a lot of her students our way. So we love you, Emily. Yeah, okay. Emily's the shit. This question is really fun. I, I'm not surprised she asked something like this. Do you stereotype readers when they enter the store? Like this person is definitely a fantasy reader. So, I mean, it's almost like sorting before approaching, not like this person sucks or this person doesn't suck. I mean, personally, no, not really. I mean, I, I, I think maybe the only group I maybe do that with would be like, college students um we don't actually get a lot of male college students in but we do get a a lot of female college students in and I think I probably think like oh this is like maybe the Colleen Hoover crowd the book sort of the book talk trendy crowd but that's not always the case but I think maybe that's the only group that I sort of maybe initially having a They do about. cluster at our bestseller table and the romance section. They like the TikTok favorites. So I would say expectation and reality meet often on College Girls. Um, I would say I, I don't stereotype, but I'm always curious where it's going to go when an older gentleman enters the store. Because I don't know, I, I'm not, they're hard to stereotype. I'm always curious, where, where's this person going to go shopping? Yeah. All right. Emily wants us to rant about Amazon. Ellen, you're very good at this. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So we have a general policy in our store mm-hmm. that I think 
differentiates us maybe from some other indies um, because we do have the right to be pissed off at Amazon. And I will go into all the reasons why. Um, but we typically don't because we don't expect the average person to understand the industry dynamics at play here. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to shame people for where they shop. Um, we just want for, our store to be a place that yeah, they for will shop, shop. For shopping mm-hmm. on a budget, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not something we typically do. But since you asked, Emily. Yes. Um, the problem with Amazon is they don't play by the fucking rules. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they don't re- they're not really made to. No. So- Publishers and where they where they really dick us over is on new release hardcover books. Right. So Amazon sells they're a lot books are a loss leader for Amazon. What that means is that they're not really making money on books. Sometimes they're losing money. Sometimes they lose money. They are pricing new release hardcover books at the price we have to buy them wholesale. At cost, like basically. At cost. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what they're making money on is the ads they're selling, the other things they're selling, your clicks, your data. That right. is what they're making money on. Okay. So I can't, literally cannot afford to sell books at the price that Amazon is. Mm-hmm. As an industry, and this is true of all independent booksellers, we have an agreement that <clears throat> we sell books at the publisher list price. This is what it costs to make a book for the cover design, for the printing, for paying your authors. Okay. This is what it costs to produce that book. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so the price that is on the book is the accurate price for what that book costs and the labor that went into it. Mm -hmm. And what it costs to create a physical space staffed by knowledgeable people in which you can discover that book. Yeah, and and I think one thing that a lot of people, I, I wouldn't expect them to know, is that indie bookstores operate on pretty small margins. So our average discount for a book is between like 40 and 45%, which means that like we really can't afford to discount books much at all mm-hmm. um, if we want to be able to pay our staff a living wage. Um, and if we want to pay... Our bills. Yeah. I mean, literally just to keep the space open, yeah. not and, to mention the amazing people who work for us. And it's really unfortunate that, you know, uh, that Amazon um, has sort of, because they're not playing by the rules, uh, has put us in the difficult position of having to explain to people why we actually can't price books the way that Amazon does. And um, I would say, and, you like, know, the, the thing is, when you support an independent bookstore, we really, Amanda and I both strongly believe that our responsibility, because you can buy books cheaper, one of our responsibilities is that we give our customers a great experience. There's a lot of things we can give you that Amazon can't. Mm-hmm. And so while we can't compete with them on some things, we can sure as hell compete with them on a lot of other things. And on those things, we've really tried to like knock it out of the park. Um, but indie bookstores bring something unique to their communities. They serve their communities. You know, Amazon isn't hosting author events. They're not supporting local writers. Um, Amazon isn't giving back to your community. Um, you know, so support your indie bookstores and know that the price you're paying for a book isn't like, 
Um, it's not a markup. It's not a markup. We're not trying. It's the actual price of the book. It's the actual price <laughs> of the book. It's printed right there if you need a reminder. Yeah. Um, sometimes, occasionally, someone will come in the store and be like, your books are so expensive. And it's like, oh, actually, it's a, it's a price. It's actually just the price of the book. I don't yeah. even determine the price of the book. No, we don't. Um, and so when we understand that, you know, people live on a budget and you have choices to make, you, sh- you could certainly utilize Amazon, utilize your library, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy a book, consider what an independent bookstore brings to your community and ask yourself, is it worth that extra, mm-hmm. you know, however many dollars to keep this in my community? Right. One of the rules of thumb, I think, is a good practice is where did you discover the book? Yeah. You know, yeah, you might have a book in mind that you you heard about was coming out and you could intentionally come into our store to buy it or you could buy it online somewhere. But if you come into our store and you discover a book being recommended by one of our booksellers, that's really the time where your dollars should stay in the store because yeah. we've offered you that opportunity for discovery. Um, and I've tried to always practice that. If I discover a book in another bookstore, I buy it from them. Yeah, we, I can buy we, it at cost. We buy we buy from Indies all the time. Right. Um, yeah, I, I have had, you know, a number of instances where, and, and I know that these people are well-intentioned, where someone will come in and they really want to like pick my brain. They want my knowledge on something, but then mm. they turn around and go buy the stuff on Amazon. Right. And, th- and that's a little disappointing to me because yeah. I've given of, of my time and my knowledge. Right. So um, that's, my, that's, that's my rant about Amazon. It's pretty tame. Um, fuck Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you, Emily. Those were really good. Um, one last one from her. What is behind the scenes at Doggard, a la Secrets of the Basement? Okay, so. There is a cage in this room in the basement. We call it the murder room. Yeah. Um, we don't know the, if they were trying nothing, to trap something. Nothing, we haven't done anything sinister in there. No. That, at least that we would be willing to reveal on this podcast. It's like a 150-year-old building. And so that basement is 150 years old. And, you know, there actually was a group of customers uh, who were in our store during the tornado <laughs> last week, and they got to go in the basement. They saw behind the curtain. When what they saw is really an organized mess. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, watch your head, excuse the mess. Um, so we kind of have a, a part of the basement that's a bit of a clusterfuck. It's where everything just gets thrown. And then we have another part where we keep all of our um, back stock of items that we carry. And that's, and that's pretty, nice, that's yeah. organized. Yeah. It's organized and well cared for. So there, there aren't that many secrets. Yeah, there's, there's not too many secrets at the bookstore that I can think of. Samantha Olson wants to know, how does one go about opening an indie bookstore from scratch? Oh, Samantha. That is such a long story. Let me tell you. Um, I think the number one thing you have to consider and is the most important factor is being a book lover is not enough. Right. And you got to kind of put on your business hat. And I I think the most important thing to consider is, is your community and the location. Mm -hmm. So not every community is going to support an independent bookstore. Mm -hmm. And you have to really sort of do the work to figure out if your community will get behind you. Um, and then you have to think about like, you know, does your community have a local shopping district? Is there, is, do people shop locally in your community? Is that, is that a thing that people are committed to doing? There's a lot of different factors. Um, Amanda and I spent like a whole year trying to even just figure out if this was like a doable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we would recommend if you are seriously considering opening a bookstore 
go to Winter Institute or connect with um, Paz and Associates. That's P-A-Z. Um, they always present at Winter Institute, which is the National American Booksellers Association Conference, but they also have their own business. <clears throat> and what they do is they coach people who are interested in opening a bookstore. And what we really got out of that was like the number crunching. They walked us through like, here are the signs that your community will support an independent bookstore. So you're looking at things like population, you know, average income, uh, levels of education, do you have a college or university in your town? Cost of rent. Yep. Cost of living stuff. D does your local library get strong support? There's a whole like thing that they run you through where you really sort of start picking apart like, wow, is my town ready to do this? Um, is there a place for me here? So I would recommend like doing that work and talk to indie bookstores in communities that are similar to yours that have been around for a while. Like call them up email them, talk to them. Like, what are they doing that's working? How have they found longevity in communities that are similar to yours? We received that favor from other indie bookstores. Um, our first point of contact was Skylark Bookshop, um, managed by Carrie Kepke in Columbia, Missouri, my alma mater. And we've tried to repay that favor. Oh, yeah. Time and time again, reading in public. Um, when Lindsay Murray was uh, visiting her home state of Iowa and interested in opening a bookstore, we spent hours, you know, sharing every trade secret we could with her to give her the best chance of uh, having success in Valley Junction. Similarly, um, uh, the Curiosity the Shop in Pella. They would come and visit and pocket bookstore in Pennsylvania. We also um, yeah. talked with them and they were awesome and they've yeah. been up and going for a while. Right. Um, there's someone in Spain who's opening an English language bookstore that I just get texts from them. And that's why I will say just text and, me anything you want. And I'll I will tell say, you anything. Like, we are such a friendly industry. Like yeah. people, we genuinely want to support other indie bookstores. And so just reach out. Um, but as far as like, you know, so that's the first step is even like making the determination that it's a reasonable thing to do where you're at. Right. Um, because there, those are factors you can't really control. And then the next right? step would be connecting with indie booksellers, uh, whether it's through the conference or through individual store owners, because it is a very unique industry. Ordering books is complicated. Yeah, you have to, you know, you have to sort of decide, are you going to order books from like this a company that sort of houses all the publishers, but you get a lesser discount, but it's like one-stop shopping, or are you going to open accounts with all the individual publishers? Um, you get a higher discount, but it's a lot more work on the front end. What point of sale are you going to go with? Mm -hmm. All of these sort of like, um, you know, nuts and bolts of running the business every day is stuff you have to figure out before you open. And then you have to figure out what books you're going to bring into your store. Yeah. We always say we've handpicked every single title that's come into our store. Nobody just true. shipped them to us. Yeah. And I, I mean, so from the time we first had a serious conversation about like exploring this to the time we opened, it was two years. Yep. And, and we were working during that time on this like mm -hmm. the first year was just figuring out if we should do it right <laughs> and the second year was doing sort of the leg all that prep work of setting up accounts deciding what kind of sections we wanted to have what backlist titles we wanted to bring in really thinking through 
the the branding, um, the mission of our store, what we wanted our really conceptualizing the kind of space we wanted our store to be. So I would say you should do it. It's a thriving industry. It's a fun industry, but take your time doing the work. Right. Thank you, Samantha. That was a very long-winded Yes. But, you know, slide into our DMs because we're happy to chat. Okay. Um, Cooper Swanson. Hey, Cooper. Coop Swanson is his handle. Cooper, we're going to know if you listen to this podcast because if you did, you will write in the comment notes, I heart Ellen. Okay. (laughs) And if you don't... We will know. We will know. Cooper left us. He worked for us while he was a student at Iowa State. He left us and moved back to his home state of Minnesota. He now works for Moon Palace Books. And, and we're happy for them, but it was our loss because yeah. we uh, really enjoyed having Cooper. He's a fun dude. And Cooper asked us <laughs> the best book recommendation from a genre you hate. So, like, I will just start by saying, like, I don't really hate any books, but I guess... I, I don't really hate any genres, but I would say, like, I'm not an enthusiastic nonfiction reader. So I would need to think my the best book in nonfiction. Shit. So, okay, I, I would say, like, <clears throat> I also don't really have a genre I hate. I'm, I'm willing to read most things. Like, mm-hmm. if it's recommended, me, recommended to me by someone with whom I know I share similar tastes with, um... I definitely read a lot more fiction than nonfiction, but right. I do like nonfiction. Um, I don't read a lot of history, but one yeah. book I really love, and it's been out for a long time, is The Devil in the White City yeah. by Eric Larson. Uh-huh. Um, it's about the World's Fair in Chicago at the turn of the century, but also this serial killer that was operating in Chicago at the same time. And you would think that the serial killer aspect of the book would be the most interesting. That's why I read it. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the World's Fair yeah. is the most interesting part of it and the architecture and the planning that went into it. Um, but it's told, like, it reads like a novel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just fascinating. And you, right. like, have to figure out what happens, even though it's history and you already know. Um, while you were talking about it, I thought of one um, in nonfiction for me. Um, and this would be typical. I've read, like, three-fourths of the book. And so... <laughs> Um, is How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan about psychedelics. Because I've been very curious about the impact of natural medicines and drugs. She's been dabbling, y'all. She's been dabbling. So I would say that would be one of my forays. And I I was captivated the whole time. Um, But it takes a lot for me. If it comes to not, when it comes to nonfiction, I'm more of a memoir reader and um, so that memoir would be and essays, memoir right? and essays we both love. But I agree, like the true nonfiction, Chad, Chad's wall, nature, science, history, philosophy, psychology and economics. Um, that would be one I enjoyed picking up. So thanks, Cooper. OK, essentially booked asked, how do publisher reps sell books to you? catalogs, pitches. The and they're not is, physical catalogs. Yeah, the they're answer is digital. both. But like typically order from digital catalogs that are sent to us usually three times a year from all the big publishers. And we go through thousands of titles at a time. Usually a catalog season, we probably spend at least like a full week, like a 40-hour week or more going through the catalogs mm-hmm. and deciding what books to bring in for the season. So we just finished our spring ordering. Yep. Um, 
And it's really just a title by title. But our reps at the different publishers will sort of call our attention to certain things within the catalog. So they'll highlight things that either they really loved um, or that they think would be a good fit for our store in particular. Um, Anything of note that they want to draw our attention to. And then when we're through with the catalog, we actually had a meeting this morning with the rep. Um, We get on the phone with them or a Zoom call and they look at everything we ordered and they tell us, okay, here are the adjustments we, we think you should make. Yeah. Um, and we kind of just go through that process. Um, essentially book all essentially booked also asked us if we could get COVID Kim to read one book, what would it be? COVID Kim needs to read a lot of fucking books. I don't think she reads because she would not be COVID Kim if my dad acts read. like I don't swear. Yeah. We're going to swear a lot. Um, okay. So let's just start by saying, she needs to read a lot of things um, on a lot of topics. But the things that first came to mind for me, because I find, you know, this is a narrative that is particularly offensive to me based on my experiences, is her insensitivity to the many reasons why people have abortions and her unwillingness to humanize women, to understand the decisions they've made. I would like her to read Ejaculate Responsibly, to have a renewed um, kind of idea about if you care about abortion, what could you do that would actually reduce the need for abortion? Um So I love Ejaculate Responsibly by Gabrielle Blair. And also on that topic, another book we carry in the store, because I think you have to humanize people, stories and circumstances, you or someone you love, Reflections from an Abortion Doula by Hannah Matthews. So I'd really like her to read those books to have a greater understanding and greater empathy for the many reasons why people end up having abortions. I think another good book for her would be Page Boy by Elliot Page. Oh, amen. Which is a memoir. Um, and it's a, it's really his journey um, of transition, of being a trans man. And God knows she could use some perspective on that. Agreed. And also, Kim could read every fucking book that's been removed from a school library in Iowa because of her legislation. Because I bet she hasn't. Nice job. So COVID, Kim. There's your reading list. And Thank you. also, listeners, make sure you vote her ass out next time. All right. Mrs. McCoolaska? I have no idea how to say that. Mrs. McCool. Mrs. McCool. McCool. I, I probably typed it. It was probably Mrs. McCool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I wonder again. if this is Karen McCool. Who's no, it's my... not. It's my friend. Oh. Mrs. McCool, you're so cool you wanted to know what book. <laughs> I'm sure she gets that all the time. Um, you wish... Uh, people would give a uh, read or give a chance. Okay. Not enough people are reading American Mermaid. I've been saying this. <laughs> that is what my shelf talker says. Come on, people. I don't know why this isn't as big as Lessons in Chemistry was because it is hilarious and feminist and smart and just completely original. So I'm going to push that yeah, till I the mean, end of my days. If you don't like this book, you don't have good taste. Right. Hashtag facts. Facts. Um, right. I would agree with that. Um, what else would be a book that more people should give a chance? I wish more people. Oh, you know what? 
actually, we were talking about this author this morning because she has a new book coming out in the summer, a book that you and I both really loved, like really, really loved, that never got a lot of attention, was The Knockout Queen by Ruthie Thorpe. Oh my God, she's going to get it this time though, based on the insider knowledge news that we just got from Rachel. Ruthie Thorpe wrote The Knockout Queen. It was an amazing coming of age story. We loved it. Wasn't that insider? She posted it on her Instagram. Fine. <laughs> Rufy Thorpe revealed. We got insider message from people who are active on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she has finally put out her next book. I was in um, Santa Monica at the beach at a bookstore called Zibby Books. Shout out Zibby Books. And they had the knockout queen. And I said something. And they're like, oh, she, we're her bookstore. She's local. She works here sometimes. I was like, What? When's she going to write her next book? And they had no information then. They probably had secret information that they didn't share with me. But it's called... Rude. It's called Margot's Got Money Troubles. What is it? Margot's Got Money Troubles? Yeah, I'll totally read it. But The Knockout Queen, I felt, always should have gotten more love than it got. It should have. But this book has already been optioned for a movie, correct, Rachel? Okay, so Rachel reports that this has already been optioned as a movie. It will have both the Fanning sisters and... Nicole Kidman. I don't know how I feel about that casting, but the um, Fanning sisters will be great. I know. I'm coming with preconceived notions. Amanda, you have to read the book. First of all, I love to go to Fanning. Yeah. Yeah. So we have messaged our publishing rep and asked for an advanced reader copy of this, and we will let you know how excited to be about it. All right. Natty Oz asked a story about how Doggard Books came about and the business planning, which I feel like we kind of already got into. Um, for those who don't know, our story originates at Ames High, where we were classmates who knew of each other, but we were not friends. And then we moved back to Ames to raise our families, and our daughters were in the same preschool class. And as Ames goes, it was taught by my former preschool teacher and the mother of one of your best friends. Everybody's connected somehow. We would stand in the pickup line, and we would chat about our strong-willed daughters who sometimes fought with each other. (laughs) But, you know, no big deal. And then things, we really bonded when I connected the fact that you were involved in Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And I was really struggling with how to process the Sandy Hook shooting. And I, I saw you posting some things about this. And I said, tell me how I can get involved. So you and I spent time together on gun violence prevention work. And then uh, you joined my book club and we would just joke about it. I would say, I want to open a bookstore someday, but I don't know if I have the guts to do it. And you'd be like, if you do it, I'll do it with you. And then I called you on it. (laughs) So that's the origin story. Um, Jackie Garza, we love Jackie, wants to know what our favorite reading setup. I think hers is similar. Bed. Bed. (laughs) Hands down the bed. Yeah. I have an okay chair that I like to be in, but there's, I am a lay in bed reading person. 100%. Yeah, with the covers on and everything. In pajamas with my hair up. Obviously. To be specific. Why would you be in bed if you weren't in your pajamas? Why would you be at home if you're not in your pajamas? Oh, I don't know. Okay, Cora. Her Berksman. Is that how she says her last name? I only know her as Cora. Cora, (laughs) whose last name I know, but can't pronounce she'll have to teach me next time I see her ask how do we decide what books remain in the store long term it is the well it's based on two things yeah sales sales data 
or and or how much we personally stand behind the book. Right. There are books that don't sell well for us that we really believe in that we, we would keep, not get that rid we of keep on the shelf. Right. There are certain picture books that I <clears throat> Telex from Cuba by Rachel Kushner. Yeah. Ellen will keep that forever. Everyone should buy it. There the are Lacuna p- by Barbara Kingsolver. There are picture books that I would not be able to live with myself if they were not in our store. <laughs> like I would be, be really I would be really ashamed if someone came in and asked for it and we didn't have it. Um and then I would say there's definitely fiction titles that we've just held tight to that we probably won't ever get rid of because it was such a well the knockout queen would the be knockout one of queen them. would be one. Um, I'm probably always going to keep Paris Strike in Paris by Jane Smiley. I think it's her best work. I just love it. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Tell the wolves I'm home. These are all ones that we yeah. books that we really love that aren't aren't necessarily flying off our shelves, but because we love them. And this is actually true for other booksellers too. Um, Either the book is selling well for us or there's someone on staff who really loves it and stands behind it and we think it's important to have. Right. And those are the books that we can, if someone comes and asks us for a recommendation, they're in our memory bank and we just know to go grab them. Um, Dylan Kirchhoff asked, how do we manage our TBR list when you see so many new books each week? It is so- It's very unmanaged. It is so unmanaged. Horrible. And we talk about this, like we'll go back and read a book that we've had in the store for like a year that we just missed the opportunity to read either in advance or right when it came out. But they they live in our in a stack in our home. Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to sort of make peace with the fact that you're you will never get to the bottom of your TBR. Right. And you will never get to every book on your TBR. There are people in the store who I don't know how they do it. I think they just get less sleep than I do um, who read many more books a year than I do. So before I was a bookseller, I had a literal TBR, like Mm -hmm. a a Google Doc. Mm -hmm. And I would, I I have a habit of, I like to read book reviews. Mm -hmm. And I would just like put in the books that I, that I wanted to read. And then I would go to the library and reserve all of them. And then I would just like get them as they would come in. And so I would just read through what I wanted to read. Now that I'm a bookseller and I see every fucking title that's going to come out, it's a lot more unmanageable. It's really hard. And there are so many great books I will never have the time to read. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to read in advance for our subscription, which we're so proud of. Um, And so that's always kind of the hottest iron in the fire for me where I'm just like, ah, I got to look at, I got to read four books for January and make sure they're good. And then if I have time, I catch up on things that I missed along the way. Yeah. Um, and Jackie Hunter asked, how do we carve out time to stay on top of the latest reads? Similar theme. We just, I always carry a book. I always have a book with me. I have an audiobook. I have a physical book. I have it with me in the car. I have it with me at soccer games. I tried to make a really intentional effort of instead of pulling out my phone to scroll for 10 minutes while I'm waiting for a kid thing, I pull out my book instead. I'm not always good at it, but I do the same thing. Um, (laughs) Holden asked, I'm taking him to Taekwondo tonight. And he said, will you watch me this time instead of reading a book? (laughs) That's so much pressure. I was like, "Um, I did both last time. Yeah, I can do both. I'm very talented. I am. Uh, but I read every every night at bedtime. Yeah. That's like my sacred reading time. And then I fit it in other places too, but I will always read at bedtime. Cool. Thanks for your questions, guys. We'll do this again sometime soon. Um, but there's your answers. 
Okay. Hopefully you were enthralled. What's coming out this week? <laughs> okay, this is the season of celebrity memoirs. Our three big hardcover books coming out this week. No, yeah. two of the three. <laughs> no, they're all three. Oh, no, two. Two, yes. The books coming out this week in hardcover. First would be being Henry, The Fawns and Beyond by Henry Winkler. Whose greatest role was actually in Arrested Development. Really? But go on. Okay, okay, okay. Well, that would be part of the story, how he evolved from the role. The Fonz. The Fonz that defined him as an actor. And so I think it's about that. He also goes into his experiences with dyslexia. I find that really interesting. The other celebrity memoir that's coming out in the big fall season would be Energy Follows Thought by Willie Nelson, the story behind 160 of his favorite songs. So if you ever want to know what was that song really about, you can find out here. How high was he when he wrote it? Probably all the time. And he's turning 90. So obviously that lifestyle hasn't hurt him. Oh, my God. I recently saw a video of Snoop Dogg. Mm -hmm. And I think he was on like Jimmy Fallon or something. And uh, he was on a talk show. And he was talking about this time that he and Willie Nelson got high together and then went through the... Kentucky Fried Chicken drive through <laughs> From Alice McDermott, the winner of the National Book Award, a new book called Absolution that tells the story of women on the margins of the Vietnam War. So Alice McDermott, actually, this book is our February book club pick for the official book club. Cool. And she wrote a book um, called Someone. That's the book I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me so much of A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So it's like the story of a person's life. Yeah. She's an excellent writer. That I think, will be and I think someone was the one that won the award. That's so cool. Um, it's also the season of cookbooks because they're very giftable. And the one our publisher is pretty excited about is Start Here, Instructions for Becoming a Better Cook by Sala L. Whaley. I hope I pronounced that right. It's the fundamental skills you need to become a more intuitive cook. So I could have used this last night because I cannot brown skinless chicken breast or thighs. It always gets stuck to the pan. I use oil. I use a good pan. So I'll have to look in the book You'll have to, to see read if it. there are explanations. If they can solve your cooking chicken problem. The paperback release that's coming out this week is Storyteller by David Grawl. This was a best-selling memoir in our store. This is the deluxe remastered paperback edition that tells the story of the Foo Fighters frontman. So if you didn't catch it in hardcover, now's your chance. All right. What's new in kids? I'm excited for a new chapter book, Christmas book called Juniper's Christmas by Ian Colfer. Ian Colfer is a beloved middle grade author, and this is about an 11 year old girl who's thrown into a Christmas adventure when she seeks the help of a mysterious woodsman living in her local park who she suspects is is Santa. There's like a mysterious woodsman living in the local park. I don't think my go to thought would be he's Santa. Yeah, I don't know. Or that I should befriend him. Well, she gets exposed to North Pole magic and exciting things happen that's what that's what they claim she it must be this cloud emanating around the woodsman that she runs into um and then another this one's about you i know this is how i was as a kid i had um imaginary pets on leashes in my mind and they all were connected to a leash and i would walk around with them and um 
I wanted one of every dog breed. And so this book is called I Want 100 Dogs by Stacey McAltney and illustrated by Claire Keen. A young girl says, I want 100 dogs. And her parents say, okay, but how are you going to feed them? How are you going to walk them? Where are they all going to sleep? So she slowly scales back. Okay, fine, I'll have 90 dogs. Okay, fine, I'll have 80 dogs. So it is uh, a math counting by tens book. And it's also about wanting every dog in the world. So cute book. All right, what's popping in the store this week? Not a lot. Kind of a calm week. We needed a calm week. Um, I'll be reading with Lovey on Wednesday, November 1st at 10 a.m. And then on Sunday, November 5th from 3 to 4, come hang out with me for the Teachers Only Book Club. We are reading Apple by Eric Gainsworth. This is a novel in verse um, from an indigenous writer. Cool. And an award winner. Good pick. All right, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. Awesome. Remember, uh, subscribe, like, follow, because you want to find out what's happening in Dog Eared Books every single week. Yep, and if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at, at Dog Eared Books Ames or at Dog Eared Books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great! It's so great!